Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome, members of the Scrutiny Committee. Uh, welcome to all officers of the Council and also to Adam Dodgson and Simon Ford from the Planning Advisory Service who will be giving us a presentation shortly and answering questions about one of the big items on our agenda tonight. Are there any members of the public who would like to say something during this uh, public speaking session? We have 15 minutes at the beginning for members of the public who may wish to speak. It looks as though there is no, we, we don't have anybody, nobody who's notified and nobody who, here tonight who's wanting to say anything, so we'll move on. I'm going to deal with with your agreement with the first three agenda items and then move to item number eight, which is the planning advisory service item, bring that forward up the agenda. I think it's uh, best that we do do that. Um, so first of all, are there any apologies for absence? No apologies Can from Councillor Susan Barker. Thank you. Any declarations of interest? Councillor Barker. Um, I have a dispensation to say that I'm married to Councillor Susan Barker, who has been involved in the planning process for some time. I also declare that uh, I was a member of the Scrutiny Committee 2011 to 2015, which is part of the uh, subject matter item 8. Councillor Oliver. Sir, I have to declare I was also a member of the Scrutiny Committee 2011-15 and I was also a member of the LDF for the same period. Thank you very much. Can we take the... Oh, sorry. Likewise... Councillor Harris. Thank you. Likewise, I was a member of the Scrutiny Committee from 11-15. Councillor Sell. Item 6, uh, Member of Stansted Parish Council. And, and along with some of the others, I was also a member of scrutiny in the last, uh, in the last term. That was Councillor Davis. Thank you, Councillor Davis. Is that all declarations of interest? We'll then take the minutes of the meeting held on the 24th of June. Is it your wish that I sign these as a true record. I did send my apologies, but they're not shown on the minutes. We'll correct that, Councillor Harris. Are there any other errors that members wish to point out? No, so with that uh, amendment, I'll, I'll sign them as a true record. Thank you. Are there any matters arising that anybody wishes to raise at this point? No? In that case, that deals with the procedural parts of the meeting. I'm now going to move to item 8 on the agenda, which is the local plan review and welcome Adam Dodgson and Simon Ford from the um, 
Planning Advisory Service and Local Government Association who have um, provided recently provided a report about the um, local plan. Um, this was commissioned at the beginning of uh, 2015 um, following a request from Elsnam and Henham. Uh, this was then picked up and the, the um, scrutiny committee agreed to move forward and commission the report and this is the first no it's not it's this, they, we, we had a presentation at a previous meeting um, and this is the um, this is the first formal feedback of their actual report what I like to suggest and, and I hope the committee will agree that this is an opportunity, this is the first opportunity to consider this report. I don't think it will be the last time that it's considered by the Council. I think it's our opportunity to question the authors, to seek clarification. Uh, if there are any views that there are omissions or errors in the report, then clearly that's, there's an opportunity for members to raise that. What this is not at this time is, is um, an opportunity to challenge the Council, to challenge members or, or officers about past actions or for that matter inactions. Um, first of all, um, the right people aren't here tonight anyway and I don't think it's right that we do that. I think we need time to digest the report to understand it uh, and consider our next steps before, the, before we finish this item tonight um, and I'm not batting that into touch in any way to you know, avoid further discussion or delay to date or to cover up anything and I think it's merely that we ought to go about it in a logical sequence and first of all we need to should understand and get clarity on what the report says um, because I'm sure there will be other opportunities at a, at a later date to, to deal with any other matters uh, about how it was conducted and really as, as you know as an internal thing we have our um, the PAS here tonight to report to us I think it's for the council to move forward and decide how to deal with it at a later date I think the important thing is going to be that in, in due course that we uh, work out what lessons there are to be learned from what happened last time but in, and in particular so that we can improve the way the present plan goes forward. Uh, it's fair to say that improvements have already been implemented. Some of the things in, the, in this report are already in train and I think that's good that we're, we're already moving in the right direction. Um, but I, I think that probably the way to deal with this is going to be to ask the Cabinet to uh, report back with an action plan and, and, and a commentary on the report at, at, at the next stage and we can discuss that when we get to the uh, end of the meeting. So I, I hope you agree with me that this is a, the opportunity to work out, to, to question and to understand what the report says and then to forward that uh, appropriately within the Council to, to, to help the Council move forward. I'd now like to invite um, Adam and Simon to give us an overview of their report before we start the questioning stage. Thank you, Chair. Um, I'm Adam Dodgson from the Planning Advisory Service, uh, and I have with me Simon Ford. Uh, he works for a company called AMEC Foster Wheeler, and they are one of the uh, 
suppliers who are on the planning advisory service framework. Uh, we work with a lot of technical experts on various different planning matters uh, and Simon works for one of the five firms that we, that we have appointed to, to be on our framework. Oops. This is just uh, a quick reminder, if you like. This comes from the scrutiny report of 10th of February, which was the sort of the uh, official uh, agreement of what it was that we would be uh, looking at on behalf of Uttlesford in terms of the local plan. Um, and it's just there to uh, remind everybody, I suppose, why we're here in the first place. Um, it's uh, it's been a very interesting piece of work for us because the Planning Advisory Service has a lot of uh, experience in supporting local authorities in the plan making process but usually um, solely focused on their current work and moving forward. It's very rare that we are asked to uh, have a look back over a process uh, and certainly one that's gone on for uh, sort of the previous seven years. So it was quite, uh, quite an unusual undertaking for us but we hope we've, we hope we've captured um, everything that ought to be captured in terms of, as, as Councillor Dean said, in terms of the helping you learn the lessons that, that mean you can continue to move forward with the plan uh, as things move on. Um, it wasn't an inspection and we're not inspectors, uh, you know, we're not the planning equivalent of Ofsted or anything like that, there's no judgment, it's not an audit, um, and it was very informal. Um, you know, we haven't looked at any sort of legal indicators or the process in that respect. It's just been a review of, uh, as it says in point two there, a high-level review of the work carried out on the plan to date. And I'll be unpacking that, uh, obviously, in the next few slides. So what I'm actually going to be talking about this evening, or what Simon and I are going to be talking about, um, it starts with what we call the timeline, which was... Um, the very pleasant job of going through every single uh, committee and working group minutes since 2007 till uh, 2014 um, and looking at how the decisions were made at each of those meetings uh, and providing, you'll see in the report, it's my commentary uh, on each of the um, minuted meetings. I did not look at any of the reports that went alongside the meetings. So you may find, for example, that some of the points I raise would have been answered if I'd have looked at a technical report that went alongside the minutes. I, I didn't look at those. I only looked at the minutes of each of the, each of the meetings. So that's what the timeline does. Um, the inspector's letter is mainly a reminder of what the inspector had said back in uh, December um, and a little bit perhaps of the why or why did he act that way, at least as far as I uh, conclude. Um, all the technical work, which is uh, the next three bullets, the sustainability appraisal, the site selection process uh, and the engagement process, including the duty to cooperate, are where Simon will pick up the presentation. And then at the end, there's sort of a brief summary, and although we put recommendations, it might just be down as thoughts at this stage, because obviously it's for you to come up with your own uh, recommendations on your way forward. Um, and the last thing I want to say before I get into the detail is that we have looked solely at publicly available documents. We didn't have any conversations with any officers to ask any questions about the background, uh, and we didn't um, ask for any special papers to be written. So everything that we've looked at is available on the Uttlesford uh, District Council website. So moving on to the timeline. I think, really, for me, there were five um, things that jumped out. Um, 
As I mentioned, I read all the minutes. I didn't read uh, the reports that went alongside them. But what we've done, you know, you know the context of, of, of some of these decisions. You know what was happening in the council at that time, and we don't. So we've looked at this completely dispassionately. We haven't considered uh, the why to much, to much extent, uh, because you will know this uh, far clearer than we would. But I think it's first worth saying that in terms of the structures that are in place, um, you know, we don't think, and this is very common across the country from what we've seen elsewhere, you know, there's, no, there's been no sort of council process failure or, or impropriety in the decisions that have been made at all. Um, it's just you know, the structures have been in place that you would expect to see in terms of uh, working groups feeding into environment committee, feeding into uh, scrutiny and full council. Um, but there have been occasions where um, one of the things that you need to think about looking forward is where members and other members disagree or members and officers disagree, uh, there ought to be somewhere where that decision gets reviewed. And I think it would be important, for example, to consider the role of formal counsel or legal advice in those instances. Um, again, this is something which... Uh, is common across lots of different councils, but I think it's something that comes out across this timeline. Um, the structures were in place, I think, but perhaps occasionally, um, where there has been disagreement, it's for the council to decide how best to review those instances of disagreement and how to take them forward. Um, the second point is about the evidence. I think anybody who uh, heard me speak at, uh, the last time I was here was probably fed up with me talking about evidence, but planning is very much an evidence-led process. Um, you must have the evidence in place. Uh, you must have uh, clarity and transparency, which can only come from sharing the evidence that's in place. Um, I may be saying something slightly naive here. I'm not a councillor, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm never going to stand to be one, uh, luckily for anybody who lives near where I live. But um, I think certain mandates are very tricky. I think if you have a political mandate to deliver a certain uh, thing or to not deliver a certain thing, um, your planning officers will tell you that actually the evidence for them, the evidence is king, um, not the mandate. Uh, and the question relates back to my previous point, really, is how are you as a council going to deal with those instances where you might come along and say, actually, I've got a good body of, uh, of public opinion behind me, we don't want this to happen. And the officers say, I understand that, but there's a huge body of evidence that says it probably should, and there's national policy that points to the direction uh, that we might have to as well. I'm not commenting on specific locations here, I'm talking about a general point about the potential for disagreement between officers and members and where that might come from and you need to think about how you would deal with those going forwards. And as far as uh, the timeline itself and my comments, I think what felt to me uh, during the process was that in terms of the evidence, the narrative at best feels, uh, appears to be a little inconsistent. In terms of dealing with national policy changes, yes, clearly there have been uh, lots of quite fundamental national policy changes in planning since uh, the 2004 Act, which was when local authorities were charged with uh, producing what were then called core strategies, not least of which has been the abolition of the regional spatial strategy. And in fact, even in that occurrence alone, um, the regional spatial strategy wasn't abolished as quickly as government thought it could be, and so there was this slightly hokey-cokey period for local authorities where they had to refer to it, and then they didn't, and then they did again, and then it's finally been abolished. But I think that was just a small uh, example of the issues of what can happen at national level that you will all have to deal with during any plan-making process. 
clearly this is very tricky, uh, and it's not something you can uh, perhaps leap forward with as quickly as you might like, but I think it's clear from other, uh, uh, other parts of the country that um, some authorities were able to carry on driving forward with their plans even in the face of national policy change, and they dealt with things in perhaps a slightly more, um, well, they certainly dealt with things in a speedier, a speedier manner. So there may be some ways of considering how you can uh, better deal with uh, changes to national policy that go on all the time. Um, there are some more coming. We are told certainly the housing bill will be coming out shortly and there will be some more changes relevant to planning in there. But we do understand that perhaps after that there may be fewer changes from the Conservative government for the rest of their term at least in terms of the planning system. But you know, we, we are not the government. We don't know this for a fact, but this is what we're being told. Uh, the point about dealing with local opposition, I think, comes to some of the comments made um, in the timeline about potentially a lack of trust, uh, a lack of feeling that perhaps sometimes engagement didn't happen in the right way or in the best way uh, for everyone concerned. Obviously, not everyone's going to be happy with decisions that get made, and I think, again, the Council has to think about how they deal with um, opinions that are contrary to those that they are putting forward. Um, I think it's okay to ask for help. I think there are other people out there who are very good at um, explaining uh, how to get the best out of engagement, how to get the best uh, sort of buy-in from uh, both members and members of the public. Um, and I think it's always very important to be aware of the bigger picture and to always have that in the back of the mind because when people are faced with um, decisions made very locally, if they're not really aware that behind all of this there is perhaps a good strong vision for the future of Uttlesford, behind which is a national policy, then you know, perhaps there's a better way of explaining things to people that mean they feel they can buy into the decisions that are then made. Uh, and as for the timescales for delivering a new plan, I understand officers are already working on a new uh, local development scheme, which is uh, a fancy way of saying timetable. Um, and um, I think very important to cover in this would be to make sure there's a very good risk register to help you respond perhaps uh, quicker to things that might, go, um, might come along during the way, including dealing with national policy changes and so on. Um, I don't believe, having taken seven years to get this far, I don't believe you're seven years away from the next version of the plan, if that's any, if that's any help. Think considerably quicker. So I mentioned the next thing was to go on to uh, the inspector's letter. I don't really want to spend too long on this, but I'm happy to, ha to have people ask questions perhaps afterwards, mainly because this is obviously very much part of the public domain and has been probably discussed uh, very many times at the Council. But perhaps just to be clear, from our reading of the inspector's letter, perhaps two of what you might call the main matters, uh, sorry for the um, abbreviation, that's objectively assessed need, that's O-A-N, and it's an exercise that you have to do. And part of that exercise is to consider whether you have to take account of market signals, and I'm sure you're all aware that the inspector suggested that you might have to increase your figure by about 10%, and he, in fact, recommended that to you. Um, but you also have to look at your employment assumptions and make sure that if you're proposing if you're proposing X number of jobs, uh, then you'd have the right number of housing to go with that because you can't always assume that everyone's going to commute in from somewhere else to get uh, a new job that appears in Uttlesford. 
And with regard to Elsinham, there were general comments, well, there were, there were specific comments about uh, the scale of the proposal, its connectivity with uh, existing and potential future networks, its deliverability across the plan period, and in particular comments about uh, transport evidence. And this is what the inspector said. This is not me saying this is a problem with Elsinham. This is me summarising what the inspector said about those two things in particular. He did raise some other matters, and they're not all doom and gloom. Um, duty to cooperate is one. Duty to cooperate is where the council has to deal with cross-boundary issues or strategic issues, so things that affect more than just your authority. For example, uh, the M11. Uh, and I think the inspector drew out some points about uh, what the highways agency had said about the cumulative impact of developments in Uttlesford and Harlow and uh, East Hertfordshire in particular on the M11 and the fact that actually uh, the highways agency would obviously have welcomed a, a, a better sort of set of meetings and communications between the three authorities. So it wasn't just Uttlesford here, but that was one particular issue I think that the inspector raised. And I think at the end of the day, he said, as you, as you can see, he said that you did meet the duty to cooperate. It's a legal duty that you have to meet. And he said you did meet it, albeit narrowly. So it's something you'd need to look at to make sure that remains something that you are able to demonstrate. Uh, Simon's going to talk uh, in more detail about the sustainability appraisal, uh, but the inspector raised the fact that he wasn't convinced he could see a clear audit trail, and that leads to the point about transparency, not quite understanding where some of the options may have come from, or that, in fact, all of the right options were assessed in the first place. A particularly big piece of good news is that your work on the five-year land supply was considered robust by the inspector. Um, lots of authorities across the country, lots and lots and lots, are slipping up on this. So to be told that you've got a robust methodology in place is a real positive. Um, Saffron Walden, um, the inspector said it was a sound allocation, but he said some of the details were unclear. This was not a major soundness issue. This was something that he would have probably dealt with through what are called uh, further modifications or main modifications to the plan. So again, not a, not a, a problem, and the same with Great Dunmo. Um, and as with the five-year land supply, the, the work on the employment, the ELR is the employment land review. Uh, the inspector said it was a good example of its kind and led to sound policies, which is a big win because when we're talking about taking this plan forward, there are several things you can effectively bank because you know that you've done uh, good work on them already, and that's one of those things. You probably have to update the evidence because by the time you come to doing the next plan, there'll be some more rounds of up-to-date evidence that you need to factor in. But again, you've got a very good methodology in place already. And same with the settlement classification, you saw it as something that, as you see there, was generally soundly set out. So whilst the inspector uh, did recommend your plan for withdrawal, which of course has subsequently happened, he wasn't saying that the whole plan uh, was you know, a complete failure, and it certainly isn't. And just in conclusion, the inspector pointed the council very helpfully, I think, uh, you may not feel it, but very helpfully to say, actually, these are key pieces of work that you would need to carry out. He was pointing you in the direction. Uh, the SHMAR, I understand the Strategic Housing Market Availability Assessment, is already underway, uh, and I'm sure you've reviewed the methodology to make sure it's uh, compliant with the National Planning Policy Framework and the practice guidance. Um, and he wanted to see better evidence of cooperation on strategic issues, which I already highlighted in, in, in light of the M11, but there are probably others. And again, Simon is going to talk about how uh, the sustainability appraisal looks and what's happening in the, in the reiteration of it. Um, that minor point at the bottom there is just a, a very minor one. He's just saying some of your allocations in your plan already have permission, so you may as well remove them from the plan because <coughs> they're effectively going to be built out now. There's no need to keep them in as allocations.
So before I leave our inspector, I just wanted to perhaps try at least to answer the question about the, uh, why he behaved the way he did, if you like, uh, and whether his conclusions were uh, consistent with uh, other inspectors across the country faced with similar issues. Um, I think the answer is yes. And I wanted to just quickly run through um, the big thing that the inspector has to do is to look at uh, four tests of soundness, and these are set out in the National Planning Policy Framework. The inspectors have to look at every plan and test them, literally, against these tests of soundness. And I'll go through them one by one, just, just quite briefly. The first is that the plan should be positively prepared. Sorry, it does appear to... You back. Oh. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, the first is that the plan should be positively prepared, which means that it should be prepared based on a strategy which seeks to meet objectively assessed development and infrastructure requirements, including unmet requirements from neighbouring authorities where reasonable to do so, and consistent with achieving sustainable development. So that's test number one. And I think it's fair to say that the inspector's conclusion was probably that he wasn't convinced that the plan had been positively prepared, mainly around the issue about including uh, the right number of housing through taking account of market signals. So that might be one area where he was, considered, he was considering the plan may not be uh, sound. Test number two is that the plan should be justified. And this means it should be the most appropriate strategy when considered against the reasonable alternatives based on proportionate proportionate evidence, sorry, proportionate evidence. I think from the timeline it's quite clear that the inspector didn't think that he could see this. The plan had on occasion had decisions made. Is this staying on? Sorry, it feels like it's, okay, sorry. Um, the plan had on occasion, uh, the decisions had been made uh, in the absence of uh, evidence and therefore he couldn't see that the plan was justified and I think he actually said that in relation to um, the allocation at Elsinham. The third test is that the plan should be effective, uh, which means the plan should be deliverable over its period. I need to move back now. Right, okay. The plan, <laughs> the plan should be deliverable over its period and based on effective joint working on cross-boundary strategic priorities. So again, I think one of the issues that the inspector raised about Elsinore in particular was questioning whether it was deliverable to the level that was assumed to be the case across the plan period. So he may have been forced at this point to conclude that he didn't feel the plan was effective as, as written in the test. And finally, uh, a plan should be consistent with national policy which means the plan should enable the delivery of sustainable development in accordance with the policies in the framework, uh, the framework being the National Planning Policy Framework. So those are the four tests the inspector had to uh, look at. That's what every inspector in the country has to look at when examining a local plan. And all of the evidence that is presented to them, all of that documentation, all of the public's responses, he has to weigh everything up, or she, in your case it was a he, has to weigh up everything uh, in terms of those tests. And if he doesn't believe the tests have been met, then he has to declare that the plan um, is unfortunately <coughs> unsound or likely to be found unsound if an examination was to continue. So, I hope that's... Uh, 
helps clarify for anybody who wasn't aware what, those, what, what the inspector has to look at. But he still had some options open to him. The one he took, as you're fully aware, is that he recommended withdrawal. Um, there is a council uh, in Warwickshire at the moment that has just decided that although the, count, uh, although the inspector recommended withdrawal, they have asked if he can continue on to the examination of their local plan. Um, he has said that, of course, if they request that he does that, that he will, but he's already expressed in various letters to them that it is highly likely their plan will be found unsound. Uh, they've taken the decision to continue. Um, it's, it's entirely their call as to do that, but it feels to me like a, a strange decision when the inspectors kind of already told them that they're heading for uh, an unsound plan. So the second option would have been, could have been, to suspend the examination. Now, what this generally means is that if the inspector believes that within a six-month window, the council can rectify the issues that uh, have been highlighted by the inspector, then he is probably open to the council saying, we think we can resolve these issues in six months. Can we suspend the examination and come back? Clearly, it's a good uh, strategy for keeping the plan moving forward, but there are two, there's, there's another key issue, not just can you do everything you need to do in six months, but when the plan comes back in front of the inspector, will the scale of change to that plan be so significant as to be effectively giving the inspector a completely different plan to examine? And if the answer to either of those two questions, can you do it in six months? No. Will the plan be significantly different? Yes. If those two questions are answered that way, then he can't recommend suspending the examination, unfortunately. Um, there's a final potential option open to inspectors, which was uh, highlighted in a recent letter from um, the minister to inspectors, saying that they ought to consider the possibility of a plan um, being subject to an early review. So it gets examined, it gets found sound, but the, the authority is charged with reviewing it within a very short period, something like one, two or three years. Sounds like a great idea, but unfortunately this can only happen if the plan is sound at the moment. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, with those tests of soundness, it felt to me, and it clearly I think in the inspector's letter, felt that the plan presented by Uttlesford to the inspector would not have been found sound had the examination continue, continued to its finish. So the early review option wasn't open to Uttlesford because it wasn't, uh, on the face of it, it wasn't a sound plan that was being, uh, was being examined. So hopefully that sets out what the inspector had to look at and also that he probably did consider the three potential options open to him but was forced to come to the conclusion that the recommendation for withdrawal was the um, regrettably was the best way forward. And those are the tests and the options that all uh, inspectors will apply uh, in a nutshell. In the next slide, I will be talking very briefly about some uh, other local authorities who have found themselves in a similar position to Uttlesford, just to perhaps highlight that A, you're not alone, and B, uh, it helps perhaps highlight the consistency element of um, an inspector behaving as he did in your case. So before I do hand over uh, to Simon, it's just a quick list of um, authorities who've been asked to withdraw their plans or their plans have been recommended for withdrawal in the last 12 months or so. I'm sure we can share this presentation so you wouldn't necessarily need to, to furiously scribble these down. Um, but in case anybody has any uh, questions over what I've summarised as the issues are, I think you can see two main things here. One is that 
all of those plans have some serious problem with their evidence in some way or other. And once again, I'm not, I'm not um, you know, backward in coming forward about the fact that evidence really does uh, rule a plan. Um, but also there are a couple of things in there that might be, might be interesting to you, might, might make you uh, raise your eyebrows at least or something. In Litchfield and Mendip in particular, a reminder that housing numbers shouldn't be seen as a ceiling. They are in fact uh, minimum. So I think both of those plans try to express their housing targets as maximum or maxima and say, you know, if we achieve this figure within the plan period, we can basically uh, have a moratorium on house building and pull up the drawbridge. Uh, there is a, such a significant shortage of housing in the country that I think any authority that tried to propose that would immediately uh, fall foul of uh, national planning policy. So that was a reminder to those two authorities that the housing numbers in their plan are minimum uh, and not uh, a maximum. And a potentially interesting, although slightly aside, point about Durham is that they are, to my knowledge at the moment, the only council in the country that proposed a housing target that was too high. Uh, most authorities, of course, are going the other way. Uh, but the inspector looked at Durham, looked at the surrounding area and said, and this is a good point about cooperation actually, looked at the surrounding area and said, it looks like you're trying to take all of the cake for yourself that the northeast needs to split up between itself. Uh, and Durham was going for a very, very ambitious uh, growth target uh, based on hyper levels of economic growth, perhaps, perhaps to the detriment of other authorities in the northeast. And that's why the inspector uh, called it into question. So that's just a quick example, a uh, list of examples, uh, hopefully to illustrate those two things. One, you're not alone for what that's worth. And two, inspectors are acting uh, fairly consistently across the piece when, it, when they're faced with similar issues around worries about evidence um, and uh, some of those things such as market signals, which were, was an issue for you as well. So I think it's time for a voice change. I'll hand you over to uh, Simon to talk about some of those technical aspects. Thanks, Adam. Um, uh, as Adam indicated, uh, the, uh, the more technical um, elements of the review process that we've undertaken, uh, namely sustainability appraisal, uh, the site selection, and uh, the engagement elements of the, uh, the plan, um, they're the three elements of work that um, the organisation I work for has undertaken on behalf of the Planning Advisory Service. And I'm going to start with the sustainability appraisal review. Um, as you can see from the slide, um, my plan is to try and keep this as brief as possible. Main reasons for that is a sustainability appraisal is uh, or can be quite an impenetrable, uh, impenetrable document to uh, a non-technical audience. Um, it's, uh, it's not always easy reading, um, mainly because of the approach that they take. Um, an options appraisal really it's, uh, consists of ass assessing alternatives and providing clear narrative and, trans and showing transparent decision making on options. And we're here talking about uh, the sustainability appraisal on options for sites. So the first bullet point really uh, indicates um, that the story wasn't clear on how sites were identified. Now, it's not just about narrative. It's also about how the choices were made and also how the options were chosen that would then inform further growth. So the narrative is important to understand where the options have come from, but it's also really important to understand how they would be chosen to inform for, um, further growth. And that is really... 
One of the things that we identified as being, and also the, I think the inspector indicated, that uh, the story wasn't really being told that clearly. Um, again, it's, it's worth saying, and I know Adam's already mentioned this a number of times, you're not alone in this case. Uh, sustainability appraisal at the moment for, um, for us as the planning advisory service is a key document that a lot of local authorities are really struggling with. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not an isolated set of circumstances here. Um, we deal with sustainability appraisal review and, uh, and also providing critical friend support to um, a significant number of local authorities that are going through the local plan process. Um, the second bullet point indicating that uh, it, the sustainability appraisal did not effectively provide narrative around Elsnam as a site. Um, I think to sort of drill down a little bit into the detail of that, the effects that were identified did not really anticipate some of the key associated issues. Um, and this is really regarding the, the accessibility issue. Now, Adam's already mentioned this, um, I think, on a number of uh, different other issues, but it really is about um, having a clear understanding about if there is a site that's being uh, brought forward um, as an option, is it accessible? Are there good pathways to that site um, to allow traffic and transport to move in and out of it? Um, if there isn't, it, you know, it does bring into question um, the assessment of that site and whether or not it should actually move forward. Um, the, the third point really I, th I think is, is, is just an addition uh, to, to indicate that we feel uh, that there were an excessive number of options for policies. Now, this comes down to the sustainability appraisal framework that's developed to appraise the options that are available. And uh, having a large number of policies uh, to uh, develop your framework from makes it an even more impenetrable document from the beginning. Um, and, you know, it's... It is obviously a decision that's made by the authority um, as to how many options for policies there need to be, and, and there is no sp uh, st specific stipulation as to how many or how few there should be as well. So that's a slight aside. Um, the only other thing I can really say around the sustainability appraisal review is that in the period of time that uh, was taken to produce uh, the local plan documentation, we're talking seven years, the sustainability went through an, uh, appraisal went through a number of different iterations to actually reflect and respond to the changing circumstances. This may have led to um, an inevitable lack of clarity in the narrative. And this is the reason why I'm saying the top bullet point specifically is valid. Uh, the, the story wasn't really clearly told. Now, it may be down to the fact that the iterations, it lost its way a little bit. Um, and that is quite an understandable situation, uh, but it's not something that can't be rectified. It's certainly something that could be uh, changed and adjusted. So to move away from what happened and to look a little bit sort of to current day and also looking into the future... Um, I'm aware, and uh, some of my colleagues who I've been working with on, on this review are aware that there is a revised essay underway. The scoping report, which is one of the first uh, technical documents to be created, is it's looking in much better shape. Uh, I've had sight of an early draft. 
I'm a lot more comfortable and some of my technical colleagues are a lot more comfortable with what we're seeing. So I think there is good news on the horizon and I think it's positive and the way forward is a lot more clear. Um, I think part of me is minded to say that on the basis of the majority of the work that I undertake for the Planning Advisory Service. And often we're looking to uh, provide critical friend support and undertake critical reviews to help people make better documents rather than to criticise what's gone before. So I'm going to leave sustainability appraisal review there and move on to the next slide, which is site selection. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Now this, again, site selection and doing a review of the site selection process it was a real challenge, and I think it always is quite a challenge to undertake, um, because site selection often comes from a sense of place. And for me to sort of start to create narrative and engage in a discussion around a sense of place which I don't live in, I don't work in, and I certainly don't transit through, I've got a long journey home to Bristol tonight, so as you can tell, I'm a long way from home. Um, it's not my place, therefore, to talk about a sense of place in terms of site selection. What I do want to talk to you about is process. So, obviously, you have to find out within a site selection process what sites are potentially available. And when you've done that, that's what we call a sift or a sieving process. And that starts really with uh, a call for sites. And the site selection process and a call for sites, in my view, and it is my view, should be as broad as possible and be able to engage and inform as many people who are interested in putting a site forward as an option, regardless, regardless of what your vision may or may not say. So with that in mind, it's a very broad front-end process that becomes tighter as you get closer to understanding what your vision is looking for and also what sites are appropriate. Whilst you're doing that, you have the opportunity, again in my view, to develop your vision to fit your sense of place. It's not necessarily, and it's, I, in my view again, it shouldn't be a developer-led process. Um, when you have an understanding of what sites are potentially available, you must assess them equally. If you don't assess them under a common framework, there will be flaws in your site selection process. Again, within this site selection process, you need to take consideration of objectively assessed need, or OAN, of which I know that Adam spoke earlier. Um, again, yet another impenetrable planning process. Objectively assessed need is not for the faint-hearted. Um, it is a challenging set of circumstances that you must include within site selection. So, what did the inspector raise? Well, from what we could see, he raised a number of concerns, and one of them was that the call for sites must be an effective mechanism. My view, again, is the best way to look at that is to consider what you did before, to consider what your neighbouring authorities may do, and also look at other authorities that may have or may be in a similar situation to yourself, to look at the mechanisms they're using, learn from their mistakes as well as their positive attributes. Okay? The inspector also raised a number of concerns around Elsinum as a site option. Now, 
This is a really challenging element to the site selection review. The inspector indicated that he did not feel that the three tests that needed to be undertaken of a clear assessment of suitability, viability and availability were not all undertaken. These are not my words, they are words that have come from the inspector. So it was certainly an available site, but whether it was suitable or viable is unclear. That is where I think that the, any site selection process going forward really needs to be careful of and considerate of those three elements and make sure that whilst you're doing your assessment of site selection that you look at all three elements. So the last part I want to look at really is the engagement process. Um, so again as Adam indicated at the beginning we looked at all publicly available documents. When we looked at the review for engagement we looked at consultation process and the documentation that supports that, including the statement of community involvement, of which I'm aware has been updated recently. But we also looked at the duty to cooperate. Now, the duty to cooperate, the inspector was relatively clear in his uh, view that it, was, it, it actually passed uh, the inspection and it was effective, but only just. When I undertook the review for engagement, there are a number of things that I found that I, couldn't, I, that I couldn't find that I was expecting to see. And they were, as I've identified, limited documentation and evidence of an engagement strategy and plan. Now, these things may exist, but they're not publicly available. So I don't want to cast any aspersions in saying they weren't undertaken, because I do not know. With the use of a strategy and a plan, it's the only way for me to understand how to inform a process of local plan development. It's something that I work on with a lot of local authorities, and it is something that they all struggle with. So again, a good strategy and a good plan are often quite hard to find with engagement, specifically with duty to cooperate. Um, the other part of it that we identified as uh, being uh, something that we couldn't find sufficient evidence of, which was ongoing engagement with key agencies. Now, again, we do feel the inspector sort of reflected on this with his uh, commentary around uh, limited contact with the highways agency. So they're relatively simple messages, and they should be relatively simple to fix. It is about process and documentation, and with that comes evidence. Um, so really moving on to uh, what I think will probably be one of my last slides tonight um, is just to say to you all really I do not believe all is, that all is, all is not lost and I really do believe that. Um, so I've sort of set out six bullet points um, which focus on the key areas that were identified by the inspector. So really what we're saying by those six bullet points is that much of the work undertaken for the, um, for the ULP can or should be reworked in, or in some cases reused for a future lo local plan submission. This is part of the reason why we're quite clear about the fact that it shouldn't take a significant number of years to re-implement a new local plan. We believe 
there must be sh- that this work and the future local plan submission it must be shared in its responsibility between members and officers and that there should be no us and them the site selection assessment process must be robust in the in the ways that I've indicated the sustainability appraisal must tell the story and have a clear assessment methodology the engagement approaches, approaches must be effective evidence and clearly tell the process story one of the last bullet points is to ensure that all key evidence-based documents do meet legal requirements and if there is a necessity to gain legal counsel on these issues I do suggest you do you must also remember that stakeholders must be able to understand the how and the why of options that are chosen within the ULP to enable them to support the plan pretty much that's it from me Um, I know there's a couple more slides moving on but in terms of the evidence base that we looked at I hope that that's given you a clear indication of what we tried to set out in more pages than I dare remember. Thanks Simon. I think I just wanted to pick up on um, the main uh, learning points if you like again going forward. The real headline stuff, nothing more. Um, the first again is evidence and you know, for me, for, for the planning system, evidence is everything. Uh, and you can't make decisions uh, without it. Um, but in terms of only, you know, evidence, isn't, you, you've got to have an ownership of the plan. Um, it's not, uh, it might not be a comfortable position to be in sometimes, but it's not something you can push around uh, and hope uh, it goes away. The evidence should help you understand what the best strategy is. Um, you have to understand what it tells you uh, and properly buy into the process. And this can mean some very difficult decisions have to be made, and some with some often quite significant opposition. But if you use that evidence to explain why the decision is made, then um, you ought to be in a slightly stronger position going forward. Um, Of course, we would expect you to question and interrogate the evidence and not just sit there and say, okay, then I'm assuming this is is the right answer. Um, But on the flip side, you can't ignore it either. So I think some questions you ought to have in your mind when you're looking at any evidence is... um, Is it robust? And by that I mean, do we understand that the methodology that has been used is perhaps uh, commonly used elsewhere and has been used to inform um, other planning documents in other authorities so that you know that you haven't kind of gone away or you haven't haven't, uh, uh, perhaps paid for some consultants to come along and do something uh, that they wanted to do rather than that was actually a robust methodology. I'm certainly not suggesting anything you've done in the past would be uh, worrying in that respect, but I'm saying one of the questions you can ask about the evidence is, does it have a robust methodology? Secondly, does it use the most up-to-date available data? Now, some things come out quite regularly, and if you're constantly waiting until you think you've got the most up-to-date thing, of course, as soon as you press the button to publish, something else might come out. This is just the way of the world, and what I mean by up-to-date is, um, is there a risk that if you get to the examination, someone's going to come along with something which you ought to have considered because you had the time to, but you may have decided against it for, for one reason or another. And again, with that, I think some of the learning comes from looking at other, uh, other places that have, uh, have had similar issues in the past. So it's about being comfortable with the evidence. But if you feel it doesn't reflect your place, it is entirely your position to question it and to say, this doesn't feel like it describes Uttlesford. And if it doesn't, you would have to go back and have a conversation with the people that gathered the evidence um, and say why you don't feel uh, it, it reflects the place. Um, inspectors will look at evidence and they'll look at evidence almost, uh, almost 
at the expense of anything else. They're not particularly interested in um, opinion and emotive statements that aren't backed up with evidence. So if you, f if you say that something feels wrong to you but you can't present uh, evidence in a different way, then you would no doubt come unstuck when you, when you were presenting that to the inspector. Um, the point about resilience, I think, may or may not be the right term, but it's really, again, about thinking about those changes to national policy or even uh, changes to local politics or political makeup during a plan-making process. Um, I come from uh, York. York is perhaps the only place in England that doesn't actually have an upstate local plan of any description. Um, it tried several times and hasn't got very far. Um, the unfortunate position in York, and I, I don't wish to use my hometown as a cautionary tale, but I feel I sort of have to in this particular instance. The most unfortunate thing that happened recently was there was a change in administration, and it happens a lot in York, um, and the then administration was keen on getting a local plan in place because they'd failed to do so up to that point. They got agreement from the officers that they would do something within 18 months. Um, they were just about to submit it to the inspector and then uh, a different political party, the opposition, got together and said uh, we'd like to raise a motion that stops all this and goes and has another think about the evidence one more time. Uh, and when the officer for the lead officer for the local plan stood up in front of uh, the committee and tried to sort of say here's why I didn't think that was a good idea, uh, half the opposition accused him of being an officer of the lead party. Uh, and I think that's a very shameful position to be in because there's not... Um, there's not a uh, cat in hell's chance that any local planning officer acts on behalf of a particular party. And I think it's just one of those um, sort of cautionary tales that you don't want to find yourselves in. I'm not suggesting that you have, but I'm saying that you need to have that resilience that, that is able to deal with changes in both national and perhaps local policy and politics uh, that, that helps you keep moving forward even in the face of difficult decisions. Uh, it's clear that housing development and housing delivery is key to uh, certainly the Conservative and the Labour Party. They seem to be uh, both trying to see who can say that they'll deliver the most housing between them rather than anything else. Uh, the direction of travel we therefore uh, feel appears very clear. Um, so group together, work with and learn from others uh, and there are certainly ways that you can keep moving forwards even in the face of um, some quite strong uh, opposition. And the last point about timeliness, uh, seven years is not the norm, um, but making the wrong decision quickly just because you think a deadline has arrived that you need to stick to is worse than delaying that decision until you're ready, which comes back to the point about only making decisions when you have the right evidence in front of you. So those are sort of the, the four overarching messages, I think, that we'd like to draw uh, from the work we've done. And the very final side you'd be thrilled to know from us is what we feel are some of your next steps. These are very sort of, I think you consider these as quite soft next steps. It's certainly not our business to tell you as a council uh, what to do next, but we're just basically saying in this slide that there is a suite of uh, support available from the Planning Advisory Service, and before you start to worry about me uh, sounding like a, an advert, um, the Planning Advisory Service provides support to local authorities at no cost to the authority, so there is no financial gain from us at all uh, in doing this, um, and we're funded by government to do that, or at least we are at the moment. So. Um, I would just leave those there and say as far as we're concerned, following on from those key issues, these are perhaps some of the next steps that you would need to think about, but it's entirely up to you uh, as a council to actually come up with that action plan that was mentioned earlier. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. That was uh, certainly a very thorough, even though it was an overview, there's a lot of information there to, uh, to take in. Um, but if members have, have had the opportunity to read the report, so I think that probably helps to... Uh, fill in the gaps and, and, and see how it all hangs together. 
We'll um, go on to questions and points now. I'm going to kick off with a couple just to get the ball rolling. Um, one which my Vice Chairman and I agree on is that we think that the report that you presented lacks some sort of overview, some kind of leading context at the beginning so that somebody picking it up who doesn't know all the ins and outs of meetings and uh, env uh, uh, environment assessments, etc., knows how we got to where we are and why your report came about. So I mean, my question would be that are you willing to put that onto it in, 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 in due course. And my, my actual question uh, is, is really about, in a couple of places in the report, there's reference to the role of uh, full council um, and, and whether or not it was engaged uh, often enough. So I, so I guess the question is, you know, something along the lines of, you know, do you, do you feel that the, the council, the full council, should only be involved at kind of statutory decision-making points, or do you think that there's more of a, um, a, a periodic involvement as a kind of rain checker, or a, that, that's sort of what I was reading there, but I'd like you just to put it into your words, please. Of course, thank you. Um, yes, of course, we'd be happy to do something of an introductory uh, section. I mean, I think perhaps if I zip back, oops, a bit too quickly. Um, perhaps that slide might suffice because it summarises what was agreed at, at, at scrutiny but we're obviously happy to look at something that, that helpfully sets things out in perhaps uh, a few more sentences um, the role of full council I mean without wishing to sound you know it's, that would be a decision for you as a council to decide when uh, full council ought to get involved in decisions I mean I think it's fairly standard practice that at least at each of the key stages uh, and by case stages I mean those that are uh, triggered by uh, activity in law, the regulations, the planning regulations. There are various regulations that, that, that trigger, uh, there's a formal publication of the document and I think it would be wise for uh, council to agree the content of the publication document, ditto uh, the submission version before it goes out. Uh, I'm sure those things happened. As for that sort of idea of a, a, a rain check, I mean whether that's something uh, always for full council or depending on the scale of the issue or whether you would be happy to leave that to uh, scrutiny I think is, is again a decision for you to make I'm sure different councils deal with it in slightly different ways you've obviously got to uh, either adhere to or consider to change your um, the document the, the, the rules and roles and responsibilities and rules document that, that you would have that, that uh, decides what decisions go to which uh, council but I think it would be perfectly appropriate to um, if significant issues are raised to consider taking those to full council um, and I know that some authorities do do that I, I saw Councillor Sell's hand go up Jeffrey. Thank you Jim um, Thank you Adam and Simon I found the, your presentation very interesting and informative and just a few points I took from it and a question I'd like to put to both of you you mentioned that the plan should not be developer led you mentioned about the importance of evidence and you mentioned about the site should be have suitability, viability and availability. Uh, I'm not going to go into this because we're a new council with a new plan but I, I was very much involved with Save Our Village in which fought against the Elsnam development. I'm not going to say any more on that but uh, this, uh, my question is this district is, is one where many people like to come to live how what, what advice would you give 
on community engagement with residents because many residents feel very passionately about this area. Uh, Simon Ford, um, in response to your question, I would be minded to say community engagement is uh, always an emotive subject um, at the best of times. What I can say is that any engagement should be upfront, it should start early, it should be ongoing. There's a, there's a huge list of, of words that you can add to that short list. But the one thing is be consistent, be very clear in the messages, and allow people to understand what, is, what opportunities there are to uh, add value to proposals and options and, and proposals that are being put forward if they are at that stage, um, and also what isn't up for change. So what within, what, what, what within the statutory requirements you can and can't adjust within community engagement and community consultation. If it's a, if it's a pre-application for a site or a development or a major infrastructure project, whichever one, it makes no difference. Pre-application is not statutory consultation. And there should be ongoing stages in between those pre-application stages as well. So for me, it's a process that has to be mapped. Now, that can be from the very, very early beginnings of the first conversations, and there should be an evidence base that follows that so that it is an auditable and trackable process. I hope that's helpful. Thank you very much. Uh, Councillor Goddard. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation tonight. I wanted to ask on the timeline that you have the scrutiny committee is on the timeline in 07 and then the next time it appears is in 2012, a period obviously of five years. Uh, my question, I suppose, is did scrutiny do enough? What I've done with the timeline is to look at as far as I could tell, look at every instance where the local uh, plan was discussed. And so if there, that does surprise me slightly, there was a gap of, of five years, but it must be the case if that's, if that's what's in the report. Um, but, um, yeah, if, if, I mean, the question about whether they did enough, I suppose, I'm afraid to say it's one of the ones that's for, for the council to reflect upon. Um, I would imagine that, that the uh, process for when something goes to scrutiny was set out and that process was triggered every time the local plan uh, was discussed at scrutiny and if there was a gap of I mean frankly there was a gap of um, between 2007 and 2010 there was a lot of activity that went on behind the scenes in the local plan uh, which was the reason why the local development um, framework working group would have sat because they were looking at lots of technical issues I'm not sure that a lot of those would really be uh, issues that scrutiny would need to get involved in um, but it is worth looking at in your, in your analysis of how to move forward it is worth absolutely uh, assessing the appropriateness of the role of, of scrutiny in particular and when they should be engaged um, if it feels as if perhaps you know, uh, a gap of five years, maybe something could have been done if they'd done something between 2007 and 2012, for example. Um, but yes, I think you're right to look at that, but I, I wouldn't like to, to comment and say 
they absolutely have to be involved every X number of, uh, of meetings or what have you. It really does depend on the progress in the plan and what's coming up, I think. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you. Yeah, it's about having been on scrutiny for the last four and a bit years, uh, I think we, we took up the, the subject when we were asked to as the process went forward. However, the, one of the big gaps in your timeline was when we sat in here on the 1st of November 2013, when scrutiny, the, uh, one of the decisions we made, uh, the, the working group had made, the cabinet made, was called in, um, where there was quite extensive public uh, interest and scrutiny of what had been going on. And it's surprising that some of the things that you say that where they would have been discussed, I'm surprised that there was initially, at some point, I can't remember, Somebody will remind me. Option three, the citizens of Elston Henneman took their uh, option three to a judicial review. Uh, that's not mentioned, that this is really quite certain, where the judge, I think, found in favour of the council. Um, so there are things that I feel that it's a really helpful sort of what's going on, but there are times where I went back and looked at what scrutiny actually said on the days that you said we met and it didn't quite tally with what happened. Um, you know, I don't wish to sort of... You know, we've had our homework marked, but so um, on the April the 12th, uh, you talked about the housing requirement being balanced to the economic needs against housing. Actually, on that particular time, the scrutiny looked at the, which model we would use for the population growth, and we chose the economic model for population growth, not the economic needs. So I think that whilst it's been helpful, there are, there are bits where I feel perhaps... Uh, it would be wrong to sort of take it as something, you know, that if anybody has a particular issue, that I would suggest that we'd have to go back to what you said, take it all apart. I think we might well have to maxwellize it to get somebody to come back and actually put, put the counter-argument. But what I'm really pleased about is, A, that you've produced um, what you've done. The other part of the report which you haven't presented on is about the sort of future plan about how we do things, about the process. And I was quite intrigued to say that you'd already been looking at some of the work that's being done on the new process, and I was going to ask the question, um, are you likely to be able to come back, not just online, but are we have a, a, a real presence rather than a virtual presence, so that you can mark our homework before we submit it? Um, with regard to the timeline, thank you very much for that. And obviously we're happy to pick up through um, email dialogue or what have you the, any specific issues that you want to raise. Um, and if I have missed anything, I certainly apologise. What I did and what we do have, um, which we didn't want to give to you simply because it's a very long document. When I found something um, in reading in the minutes on, online, I literally cut and paste the, the minutes into one column and made my comments in, in the next column. But for presentation to you, I've just given you my comments. I am happy to share uh, the version before that, which has your uh, minutes copied into it. And I promise you that every single one of them in the minutes column is a cut and paste. It's not me editing in any way. I did embolden some things, but I haven't actually changed any wording. Um, so I can share that with, with you so that you can perhaps hopefully see at least where it, I, I felt I was coming from, but if I've misrepresented that in any way, I'm obviously happy to have conversations at any point. And with regard to the further support, uh, clearly, as I mentioned, Planning Advisor Service is funded to support local authorities um, in their plan-making functions. One thing I can say at the moment is we don't know if we're going to be carrying on uh, receiving funding after March of next year until the uh, comprehensive spending review uh, is announced, including our potential funding. So um, if you didn't get to us before March, it may be too late. Uh, but... Hopefully that's not the case. Um, and um, 
I just would like to say as well that this body of work obviously um, you know, we don't charge the local authority but the, the money that the government give us uh, is, charged, is given back to them. You know, we, t we told them how we spent it. Uh, and clearly this particular piece of work has, has taken a, a considerable amount of time. Uh, we hope you think it's money well spent. Um, but it may um, mean that we have to have some internal conversations about the potential level of support we can offer uh, in the short term going forward. But I don't doubt that we can certainly continue to offer the sort of the critical friend support that we do uh, on documents as they emerge, if it would be helpful to do so. Thank you. I've uh, got a, a couple of points here that uh, I, know you, I think you've covered um, in many ways in, in your explanation about decisions needing to be evidence-based. Um, there are a couple of what you might call emotive phrases in the, in the report. One, one talks about prevailing political desire, which is something I haven't come across before, um, and, and, and another one which is dodgy assumptions, which I have come across before in another context. Uh, I just wondered if there's anything more that you can say that kind of reminds us about um, how, how to avoid such things in future. Yes, of course. Um, with regard to what I summarised as prevailing political desire, I suppose that came from... Oh, thanks, Simon. Uh, that came from one of the environment... Sorry. The LDF Working Group, uh, in particular, it came from the LDF Working Group in uh, August 2010, uh, where the summary that in the minutes, the summary says, in the light of the government announcement, which was about um, local authorities abolishing, uh, sorry, about abolishing the RSS and authorities being charged with finding their own housing requirements. So, in the light of the government announcement, officers be asked to carry out a review of the housing growth figures with a view to reducing the number. Uh, and that's what I felt uh, came across quite strongly as a, as a political uh, position, along with a previous statement of the same meeting uh, that said the chairman said that the council had a policy that it did not agree with the RSS housing targets and had lobbied ministers to that effect. So that was just saying that the prevailing uh, regional spatial strategy of the time in 2010 contained within it a housing figure uh, apportioning a certain number of houses to Uttlesford. And uh, the council had a policy that it didn't agree with the, the housing target in the regional spatial strategy. Perfectly legitimate to have that policy, but it is most definitely uh, something the way I would summarise as being um, a political-led uh, policy rather than, rather than officer-led, as was the statement about officers being asked to carry out the review with a view to reducing the number. So that's what I meant by that statement. Uh, dodgy assumptions. Yep, I... I that's certainly my wording, um, certainly not the inspector's, and I don't think you, I'd hope you'd never hear that from an inspector. Um, but I think this comes down to uh, an LGF working group minute in February 2011, where uh, it just summarises what the officers said in response to uh, different ways of calculating, using the projections and calculating the need. And it says, officers stated that this approach not be sustainable and would not be acceptable to an inspector. Uh, house builders could challenge the inherent assumption that in-migration is balanced by out-migration. So this is the point about whether you could run what's called a zero-migration assumption, meaning that as many people will arrive as leave and therefore it balances itself out. Um, I think from uh, this has been torpedoed so many times in different local authority examinations that um, I'm certainly happy, if that's the right word, to say that it's a very dodgy assumption to, to include zero-net migration, and you had the advice from the officers that itself it would be um, 
very open to builders to challenge the inherent assumption that the in-migration is balanced by out-migration and also that future building rates would be relatively low when compared to what have been achieved in recent years. Uh, and it would be seen as a way of dispensing with the need to allocate any more land for residential development. So that's from the minutes, and that's what led me from my persistent knowledge of, of seeing examinations uh, fall on the issue of trying to use zero net migration, uh, that that in itself is a dodgy assumption. Okay, thank you. Richard Alter, did you want to come in? It was only to answer one of Councillor Barker's points um, about the call-in meeting not being on the timeline and recall a conversation that Adam and I had when he was preparing this timeline where he decided that because there wasn't a decision reached at the end of the call-in meeting and essentially nothing changed from the, the current process, he decided he wasn't going to include it. So that's an explanation. Okay. Councillor Light. Yes, I'd like to clarify a point on the uh, complicated advice that was given could you, by... Could you speak closer to the microphone, otherwise it's not going to be Complicated advice given by officers um, to councillors who are not always um, completely au fait with technicalities and development of a local plan and what might be the recommendations for the future. So as an example, in August 07... Um, it's, there's a note here saying that the task of setting out the options appears unnecessarily complicated. Um, it mentions also a process failure and there's a contradiction in an evidence-based approach looking at uh, seems to be very little rationale. So just to repeat the question, what would you say um, how officers can advise better how councillors, sorry, can actually uh, ensure that the advice, ensure that the advice is clear and is sound going forward. I don't know if Simon wants to come in after me, but I think um, from our perspective, what we found is a very effective tool is um, some uh, member... <laughs> Uh, a lot of members bridle at, at the idea of training sessions, so member information sessions or member briefing sessions where a specific topic such as uh, how to look at a sustainability appraisal and how to understand, unpack uh, a sustainability appraisal is done over sort of a, a concentrated two-hour period. So uh, a series of sort of bite-sized um, masterclasses, uh, whatever you want to call them, that would hopefully uh, and helpfully bring uh, members up to speed on various aspects that they may not otherwise have, have had a chance to, to grip, get to grips with. And in particular, it's an unfortunate part of the, uh, of the planning system that you'll often find that if someone said, well, all you have to do is read this document and you're presented with something that's 60-odd pages long full of lots of technical um, words. Uh, and, um, and so uh, I think we found at Planning Advisory Service, we've tried to devise some briefing ourselves, which is available on our, on our website, free to look at and free to download and, uh, and do at your own leisure. But also we find it has been effective in lots of different authorities to have um, focused briefing sessions on specific issues. And going back to uh, my dear old council in York, um, we went along and helped facilitate a session on the very thorny issue of housing numbers and population projections and employment projections and so on. And it was quite clear, and I'm not just saying this because I was there, it was quite clear that, that it was very well received because it, you could see a lot of people thinking, it's the first time that's actually been explained to me. Uh, and whilst it shouldn't be the first time that something is explained to you, you also have to, I suppose, bear in mind, if I, if I dare speak on behalf of the officers, that they obviously have 
uh, the day job to be getting on with, as you do with, with, with your lives, I'm sure, but they, they are not always able to take out enough time to, that, that really this really warrants. And I think when the issues are as key as they are, the best way, albeit it might be a pain to put things in your diary, uh, the best way is to arrange for these briefing sessions so that you uh, feel confident that you've, you've got some of that knowledge that you can then also share with, with uh, members of your community because they will ask you questions and you want to be able to know uh, with some confidence what the answers are. So I think it's that member briefing is for us, I think, the most effective way of, de of dealing with those sorts of issues rather than necessarily uh, uh, arranging for a sort of a one-hour phone call with a planning officer or something because then it's only you that's getting information and it would be much quicker if everybody in the room got it at the same time. Don't you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, just, just, just to add to what Adam said, um, uh, my, in a former life, my background, I worked for a local authority for four years, um, and you'll find it quite strange to understand that I'm actually not a planner. Um, I've been in the planning system for the last 15 years, but I'm not uh, a planner by any qualification whatsoever. Um, and uh, whilst I was working in the local authority, um, I set about... Um, developing a live learning session with um, members and other officers, so officers from other departments. So it was a live learning because what we were doing is we were uh, basically uh, developing a, a sustainability strategy uh, for the local authority, and uh, you know this is quite a long time ago now. And, but at the same time, it, it was something that needed to be uh, expressed and explained to get other people to buy into it. Now. Um, when, when you're looking at sustainable communities and those sort of elements, at that stage, it was, you know, we're, we're talking just 2001, 2002, so we're talking 14, 15 years ago now, there wasn't a huge understanding, but by doing live learning, we were actually dealing with the realities of what was on the ground, and we were, we were actually doing these live learning sessions. They were one hour a week, and they went on one hour a week, and people dropped in, dropped out. You could come in and go and people picked up enough information to allow them to start to engage with a, 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 a set of discussions that previously hadn't been happening. Um, so that's just an example of what happens or what can happen, I think, if the right mindset's there. Um, I'm not saying it works every time uh, and I'm not saying it works for everybody, but, but there are opportunities there and I think it's, it's, it's about looking to see what's possible within your authority. Councillor Barker. As always, all good school homework I've been cribbing off uh, Councillor Dean. And uh, we had mentioned about the judicial review and he was a bit perplexed. So I, the wonders of the internet, I was mistaken. It was an application for a judicial review against option four in Elston. So I'd like to correct that it wasn't option three. Please. Okay, thank you. Um, Sorry, Councillor Davis. Thank you. Th thanks, Adam Simon. I mean, firstly, I think we might need to start reserving a parking space uh, for you, Adam. <laughs> um, it is quite funny when you think about it was earlier this year when, when you obviously came to, to scrutiny and presented and, and um, let alone looking at a, a plan review that took seven years and the work that that's taken. And we've gone across a, a considerable amount of work since you even came to, to scrutiny. Um, 
obviously, you know, for, it's for us to take this, and I, I, read, I read everything in detail, and thank you for summarising some of the, the more technical things, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it is very difficult to take in such a large, large piece of work, and, and it's, I think it's very beneficial to, uh, for you to be able to put, this, put us through and walk us through this evening. Um, you know, it is for us to move forward and take on any principles and areas of review that, um, that both you have highlighted and following the inspector's report. As you will have seen, considerable work has um, taken place in many areas, and um, it, a lot of the summary points that you've made do really feel like specific points in time where... You know, I, I don't think, even think I was considering becoming a district councillor at the point where some of the, the, the conversations and meetings took place here. And, and you know, we, we can't expect anyone else to go about setting up the new plan. You know, we are the people who are charged with it by our communities and we're the people who are responsible, whether it's uh, within scrutiny or, or my role within the, the local plan working group. Um, I personally feel that, you know, as was said, the correct course of action was taken on the options available. The current process delivers focus on those specific areas, but I think it's obviously important that the governance around what we do includes the robust areas as well, because robust areas can change over time as well. So it would be, I think it would be churlish to focus on the areas that, that the inspector highlighted. Um, you know, we have a solid foundation. Um, we have a plan or the work towards a plan that everyone has decided to step towards and, and, and work together on, which I think is extremely heartening. And I'm, I feel very optimistic about the delivery of a vision that does fit Atlasford as a residence. Just wanted to pick up on the, the point that Martin made about community engagement. And I think it's something that, that we all felt was, was, um, was important. Obviously, the work within the local plan was, um, there was a high degree of engagement. I think correct me if I'm wrong, but it was probably the most engagement that the District Council had had on, on a piece of work. Um, but subsequent to that, we have set up a task group for community engagement, of which two members in, um, on scrutiny sit on. And Martin Payne uh, provided a very good presentation this week uh, and a members' workshop around some of the detail around local plan development. But a key part of that is how we consult not only about planning, because there are lots of things that we, that we plan on, but that is a key tenet of the work that, that we would hope to deliver through that, which works with the planning policy working group and, and everything else to make sure communities feel, understand, engage, and actually they don't just look at the areas that um, specifically relate to their area, but also we look at the responsibilities of, of the council as a whole and ourselves as district councillors to deliver that. So, you know, it, I get a feeling of things coming together. You know, we sat and listened to the presentation at Scrutiny, which was, was hugely useful. I sat and listened to the work at the Planning Policy Working Group, which, again, was very useful. And, obviously, we look forward to making use of that constant connection and engagement um, as we look to deliver this one. So it, I don't have a specific question. I, I, I want to deliver my thanks for you summarising things which, um, which were over a considerably long period of time. Um, but for me, it's more about actually focusing on the, the way that we take it forward and the way that, that, that we're inclusive as a council to do that. Thanks, Council Davis. I'll actually just follow on from that because one of the things that um, came up on Tuesday evening at the workshop that some members were at was about the fact that an early stage, or an imminent stage, is to go out to public consultation on what the vision for the district should be. Um, and we didn't discuss it in great depth, but um, it was said that the, the intention is to send out a questionnaire. Now, I'm not saying that 
what's proposed is a questionnaire goes in the newspapers and, and expecting that alone to do something, to, to, to bring in the answers that we hope to receive or the, or the opinions that we hope to receive. Can you um, give any thought or give us any thoughts on what beyond a written questionnaire or a questionnaire on a website or whatever one ought to be doing in order to get something which is real and, and, and does engage, as Paul's just been saying, with the, with the public? Um, yes, Councillor, I'd, I'd be happy to respond to uh, that question, really. I, I, I'd, I'd like to actually go a little bit further back um, and, and pose a question of my own and ask, is a questionnaire what your audience really want as a mechanism? is my first question. Um, and that sort of leads me to a second question, which is sort of born from the understanding that the statement of community involvement has recently been updated. Um, I would first be looking at how the update was undertaken and whether or not the update was actually done with any consultation in itself. Um, one of the key tenets in consultation and engagement for me is to ensure that you're engaging and consulting with your community to better understand the mechanisms in which they would like to be engaged. Um, so it's a sort of, I'm sort of going round the houses and asking my own questions in response to a question. Um, if a questionnaire is the most effective and appropriate mechanism for engaging with the community on a vision, um, I would propose and suggest that it is uh, brief, to the point, clear, uh, and in plain English. Um, and, and I really can't say much more than that without going into an awful lot of details, which I'm usually minded to charge money for. <laughs> oh, well, have you brought... I've, not, I've, not, I've left my wallet at home this evening. Um, I mean, I think I, I saw one shaking of a head around the table about whether we're only going to use a questionnaire, and it, and it is a fact that questionnaires have been used in the past for other topics, and members of the public have said, don't understand, and why are these loaded questions being uh, put in a questionnaire? So I think, I think we need to have, take that offline and, and have further discussion on that one, and um, it's probably something that will come up possibly at the next um, planning policy working group. I won't be there, but I hope somebody will uh, pursue that um, particular point. Councillor Harris. Thank you. I would just um, remind the group um, that we did, as part of the planning policy working group, recently carry out a consultation on the statements of community engagement. So this is a piece of work that has recently been undertaken, which I believe you guys did input at the time. So great that it's going to go back, but we have just, in fact, done it. Well, I, th I think we've done that on, on what you might call the driest document that exists within the portfolio of documents with a local plan. You know, in other words, it's a timetable of how we're going to go about things. But I think this is actually taking it down to real, you know, what do, what do people expect Uddlesford to look like in 2035 or whatever it is, whatever the question might be. And, and it's a case of whether you, how we go about it. But I think, I think that's something that we can take away and, 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 and develop. Is there um, Councillor Light again, please? Thank you. I just wanted to ask a question about the uh, need and the use of a management or a project system, for example, prints. Um, what your opinions would be on that? Um, I think, obviously, project planning generally as a principle uh, is essential in working out 
uh, how the plan, the local plan, will be taken forward. Um, what I think we've found, and I think what lots of people have found over the years, is Prince 2, principles of Prince 2, are usually a, a pretty solid place to start. But if you try to apply absolute sort of pure Prince 2, you find it often doesn't work in a local authority setting, not least of which because one of its uh, often uh, used solutions to a problem is throw money at it. And obviously local authorities can't generally throw money at a problem at all. So I'm not wishing to um, downgrade the importance of Prince because we ourselves have produced a, a little online uh, self-help project tool uh, which is based on the principles of Prince 2. So I mean a project plan is absolutely essential and understanding that that's, the project plan should feed into your local development scheme, the, the, the formal document that gets produced. Um, so I know that uh, the officers have been working on a, a revision to the local development scheme and I'm sure they've used something in the background that says, okay, we understand very clearly what the tasks are going forward, we've married those to the resources, and most importantly, what you must do is then throw in um, the, the risk register, because if you don't assess the risks that might come up and the likelihood and so on and so forth, then all that happens is every time something comes up that throws the plan off, off timetable, you have to go around and revise the, the timetable rather than uh, activating some of those mitigation measures you might, have, you might have set out in the risk register. So I think having those three things together are, are essential. Um, Absolutely following Prince 2, I would say, doesn't tend to work in a local authority setting, but using the principles of Prince 2, uh, most of them are fairly, uh, very common sense, if you like. And, um, you know, I'd encourage you and other members to get, to get involved in that conversation about uh, the resources and the time taken to do things and when you have to trigger outside assistance and when you can do things in-house and what difference that might make to uh, the timetable, including all those considerations about how you manage consultants, not just wait for the work to come back and that sort of thing. So um, I'm fairly sure that's going on, uh, and yes, it's absolutely essential. Are there any qu other questions, or shall we start to wind this item up? It looks as though we can start to wind the item up. What um, we, we, we need to reach some sort of conclusion in our minutes. What I, what I suggest, and subject to anybody else coming up with an alternative is that, first of all, we welcome the report from the Planning Advisory Service and thank its representatives for their detailed work in identifying weaknesses in the past process and in making recommendations for improving the process used to produce a new local plan. Is that acceptable to members? I see everybody nodding, so that's good. Um, I, think, I think there is more work for the committee to do, and I think we probably need to reflect on tonight um, and, and before we decide precisely how we as a committee want to, to take it forward. And um, with your agreement, um, I suggest that the Vice Chairman and I sort of take what we've heard tonight away and, and uh, come up with thoughts at a later date rather than just trying to hammer out a, a precise process and timetable. Are, are members content with that approach at this stage? Councillor Barker. Um, those who have been on scrutiny before and kept the minutes before will know there's a great phrase in order that I believe that what we've been given is extremely valuable. That we've had a chance to look at what's happened in the past, ask questions about it. We can't go back, you know, we failed our driving test, 
or we failed our GCSE or geography. We now have a sort of a crammer to help us get through the, the resit, which I think the way we look at it. Brody's notes. Brody's notes. <laughs> I think that the longer we keep going back and going forward, it does two things. One, it deflects attention from the actual the, what has already been confirmed by our guests as good work that's going on in, at the moment, and that is moving forward. There is also something which probably relates to another item: is the amount of uh, resources that we have. We have a very long. Um, you know, very long list that we have to sort out in, in the next item about what we're going to do next. And I'm not quite sure how scrutiny will make a difference by looking at it again. I don't, you haven't shown me what the rest of your... Uh... I'll come on to that. Okay. So, but my view is that from here tonight, uh, we accept that we failed our driving test, um, that our driving in, 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 instructors, which are different from examiners, are telling us that we're doing it a bit better. So the only way out of this committee, we can't go to the local planning policy working group. It has to either go to council or to the cabinet. And I think we, what we should do is we should ask, we should send this to cabinet with a particular set of recommendations. And I think that we then work out what those recommendations should be. What um, my, my next, my third item, and probably I had them in the wrong order, was that the um, that we. Um, that the Cabinet is invited to consider the report and to prepare a response in the form of an action plan for the Committee to review at its next meeting in November. In other words, we, we ask those responsible for the local plan to take account of the report, to look, look at the many actions, uh, sorry, recommendations that are in there, and to report back to us what they're going to do about it. So I'll put forward that as that forward as um, as, a rec as, as a resolution, or sorry, as a proposal. <laughs> so we're going to ask cabinet to talk to the plan to, to come back to talk to us to see what they're doing. No, we're going. We're, well, I'm, I'm suggesting we ask cabinet, with in consultation, however they choose to do it, with the planning policy working group to respond to the report and to demonstrate to us that they are taking on board the recommendations that are included in the report and anything else that's come out of tonight's discussion that, uh, that, you know, that will be in the minutes that, um, that, that help the process to go forward. Could I ask what your fourth, because uh, we haven't got it in front of us, for those listening at home, and your fourth point was? Well, my, my, my fourth point, no, it isn't the fourth point. My <laughs> next point was the one I just mentioned, which is that, that the chairman, the vice chairman and I consider whether there is any more that this committee can do and, and obviously report back in November as well. We haven't given some thought to, to it. So in other words, not prescribing, prescribing our continual involvement in it. But, but at least to say we're going to give some thought to it, having digested the, the notes and minutes, what we've heard tonight, and for that matter, uh, what response we get from the Cabinet. Could you summarise in the order that you wanted us to? Yeah, so what, what I'm proposing overall is that, that we welcome the, the report and thank the representatives for the work that they've done, as, as I read out in a bit more detail earlier, that we 
ask the Cabinet, together with uh, working with the Policy Planning Working Group, to respond to the report and come back with an action plan to our meeting on the 17th of November, and that any other involvement um, of the scrutiny committee and its uh, support process is given further thought by the Vice Chairman and me, or for that matter if anybody else comes forward with any thoughts that we haven't picked up tonight, and then we can, we can reassess that in November. Could ask for comments, really, because I don't wish to be the one that's speaking for everybody else. I'm concerned that we, we don't become a hindrance in this process. Um, and being a member of the Planning Policy Working Group, we have had early sight and engagement with the, the gentleman here this evening about the issues that are being raised. So I believe that much of what we've discussed this evening is already being taken on board by the Planning Policy Working Group um, and that it is not necessarily an activity that needs to take place to go back to Cabinet to reassess a plan that we have already put together with engagement and which has been signed off. I think we are going round the houses um, and we will be hindering a process needlessly. Um, I wonder whether or not our role could be, um, you, you mentioned about the project plan, about whether or not we can look at some milestones within that plan that we could feed back on, or we could get feedback from the planning policy working group, make sure things are on track, that we're happy that the engagement um, and the stakeholder management is in place and that we are following things um, according to the plan that we've set in place and that our role is um, to, to keep an eye on the process and to make sure that things are on track and happening as they should be, rather than redefining a process which I believe has had quite a significant amount of input from, from, from the gentleman here already. I, I, I wasn't proposing to redefine anything. All I was suggesting is that the responsibility for the local plan rests with the Cabinet. We have the formal link to, to scrutinise the, the Cabinet, hence that's where the relationship is, rather than with the Policy Planning Working Group. So we ask the Cabinet you know, to, to respond to this report in whatever appropriate way they think appropriate, just to, to, to satisfy us that, the thing, that many of the things that are already in place really are in place, and I know we're all aware, aware that some are, but that anything that's new in here is taken on board um, and... and what I want, what I want, what I'm trying to ensure is that this report just as simply doesn't gather dust, and that it's seen that it's being taken account of. And, and, and I think, therefore, there needs to be some formal mechanism for for reporting back to us that that is the case. Otherwise, it just drift, drift, potentially drifts off into nowhere. And secondly, if we're not careful, we end up staying engaged with the process, which, as Councillor Barker says, we don't really want to do. It's not our job to continually oversee the Planning Policy Working Group. Not to oversee it, but, but to act as its critical friend. I think there is a place for us moving forward. Um, and I think we have to be... Uh, we, have, we are not the Cabinet, and our, that, is, it, that is not our role. I, I think that we have had a sufficient amount of input and Cabinet have had a sufficient amount of input from the early engagement that we've had and the presentations that have been going on through the Planning Policy Working Group. I think that we are replicating a huge amount of work here needlessly. 
Councillor Davis. I was going to make similar points. I mean, we are about to discuss our work plan, and, yeah. and of which we have um, planning strategy and enforcement within a kind of housing and regeneration and, and planning over sort of umbrella topic. Um, we have the, the local plan working group as well. So it's a case of whether we, we take the information, which I think has really helped us um, take ourselves forward over the, over the last however many months it's been, six months or so. Um, but I, yeah, I, do, I do struggle to see what, if there's a specific item or, or, or comment that's required. And, and I, I don't know if it's a structural thing, but it just, it just feel, it feels like there's, there's an understanding of where we've got to at this point. But we, we do run the risk of potentially duplicating um, some of the work that, that is being done by the local plan working group. And it can be quite confusing for other members, let alone those of us who sit on both. Light, did you have a thought on this? Yes, I do. Thank you. Um, I agree with you, actually, Councillor Dean. I think that there is a role, and uh, Councillor Harris, there is a role for scrutiny, and I would like to see that there is a regular reporting process back into this committee to see what, uh, how the work has progressed, how the plan is progressing, and particularly um, the recommendations that have been made, as you say, that they are incorporated. And if there is anything that we can do to support uh, the committee, then uh, the planning, uh, the working group, then that would be good. I think Councillor Sell was indicating. Yes, I have some sympathy with what Councillor Light has just said. Um, I'm also aware that We've, we've got a finite resource in the scrutiny committee. There are a lot of things on the work programme, so we must ensure that we do not duplicate. And also, as a colleague on the left, my left, says, Gazaris, um, that we don't become a hindrance to the local plan. But it's crucial that this local plan we get right. Um, I, I mean, I'll let Yes, Mr. Webb. Um, just out of courtesy to our guests, um, I'm not sure they need to stay for this, <laughs> and they do have a significant way to go home. So uh, I, I think it's a given that we're going to thank them for the work, but uh, perhaps we can let them head off home. No, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that entirely. Yes, yes, I know there's a train somewhere going to Bristol <laughs> on its way. So, yes, Thank very thanks much. very much. And, uh, if you've got so just a, a parting comment to you all um, it, it's something that I wanted to raise within the presentation but sadly I forgot so uh, my apologies um, during the work that we've undertaken um, a document's come to light that we think may be of interest to you all uh, it's, um, it's called Signal Failure it was uh, authored by Nathaniel Litchfield uh, it is on the internet I'm happy to provide um, a, a link to that document if required um, it's a very interesting read. I would suggest it's not bedtime reading, but um, it is an interesting read, and I would read it from the beginning right to the end. The main reason I say that is because Uttlesford, unfortunately, does feature at the end of the document. Um, but I would suggest reading the front end first, because I think it gives you some very good context to allow you to understand that you are not alone. Thank you. Right, with that, we'll, we'll thank you for your presence and your contribution tonight. Thank you very much indeed. Okay. Let's give them a little round of applause. <laughs> oh, can, I, can I just come back to them? I'm not, I'm not 
I think there are two things that have come out of this. One is that there is a role for scrutiny occasionally to review the progress with the local plan and, and as has happened in the past. And so I think, I think we're all prepared to acknowledge that, but not on a, I don't think on a, you know, a quarterly basis. It depends on an as-needed as basis. But all I'm trying to I want suggesting is that we close down this particular piece of work. Uh, we can't close it down because we can't accept this report on behalf of the council or, or the cabinet. We, we need to get them to satisfy us that, they, that, that what they're doing about it. And, and so all I'm asking for is that by November we ask the cabinet through the working group that they come back to us and, and say, great report, we were doing this, or for whatever reason we, we can't do that. So that, so that all the recommendations in here, we, we know that they haven't been lost. That's, that's, that's what I'm proposing. Is that, is that in conflict with other people's desire? Mm. I, I, I haven't understood why at the moment. <laughs> I agree with uh, Councillor Light that we've done the work, we failed the exam, we've stood in front of the headmaster and he said that we've been ridiculed and generally held up to scorn by everybody because we failed the last plan, it was referred. There is now change that there are enough people on this committee on the planning working group, right? so they take the spirit of the scrutiny to. But I think that to bring something back just to say, yes, we've heard what you've said, doesn't actually do anything, doesn't achieve anything, but what Councillor Light says is that we need to be involved and so therefore rather than actually have somebody come back and submit, we ask them to periodically turn up to update scrutiny on what's going on. But we also have, we ha certain members on this panel have a conflict of interest. If you look at the membership, constitution, membership and constitution of scrutiny, right, 3-1. All councillors except members of the executive may be members of an overview, overview and scrutiny committee. However, no member may be involved in scrutinising a decision in which he or she has been directly involved. So theoretically, if you happen to be on the planning working group, you cannot sit in this meeting scrutinising the work of the planning group. So therefore, I think we should skirt round this bit so we don't get caught up by the technicality and say, refer it to Cabinet, please listen, can we have somebody coming back either through Cabinet or the working group to report to us at a at reasonable time to, to reassure us that uh, what we've heard today is carrying forward, but not demand a formal response in only eight weeks? Mr Webb has uh, an idea, maybe. Just for some clarification for those members who are new to scrutiny, what has happened in the past is we have what's called pre-scrutiny of a number of items and a lot of those have been around the local plan process. So things will be brought to you in terms of pre-scrutiny and I would probably suggest to you that at that point as each of these items come forward we revisit uh, this presentation and the report that PAS have done to make sure that we are aware of the things they're saying in respect to those areas and make sure they're being addressed as part of our pre-scrutiny of the item. Right. Is, is, that, is that the preferred way forward? We need 
I mean, the problem I've got is that this report is to the council. It happens to be via this channel of, of scrutiny, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop here. Um, and I don't know where it's... If we don't refer it to the Cabinet, where does it formally end up? So, if, if I can, the, although you're saying it's to the Council, it was scrutiny that requested, and it was scrutiny that commissioned it. It was commissioned by myself, the then Chairman and Vice-Chairman of Scrutiny. So, they are reporting back to the people who've commissioned the report. Okay. Okay. Has anybody got Councillor Light before, before we question. try and pull this together? I just have a question about pre-scrutiny. Could you just explain the composition of a pre-scrutiny group and what their, their role would be and then the relationship, how that uh, information would then feed back into the scrutiny group? Thank you. What happens is that items that are key uh, would come to you and the planning officers would present to the whole of scrutiny the document that would be going forward to planning policy working group and you would be able to feed in your thoughts and comments prior to the planning policy working group meeting where the decision would be made to consult, to publish, whatever. So it's an opportunity. It, in some ways it's a way of enabling the process to get on without the need for calling. Do we, do we have, does anybody have any objection that we as a scrutiny committee refer this report to the Cabinet and its planning policy working group for them to note and take account of? Yes, that's fine. That seems to have been agreed. Good. All right. So, do, it's Councillor Barker. Do we have a, a formal words? We, we have a form of words. The, 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 the committee welcomes the report from the Planning Advisory Service and thanks its representatives for their detailed work in identifying weaknesses in the past process and in making recommendations for improving the process used to produce a new plan. Uh, that the committee refers the report together with um, the record of uh, discussion at this meeting to Cabinet and its working group for them to take account of, of scrutiny's deliberations. Um, and I think, yes, I think that, 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 that's it for the time being. Although I see that Councillor Light may want to add something. Thank you. Yes, I think we need to add what we've just discussed because I'm not sure the statement you've just made includes the fact that we um, are happy to engage closer with the working group and uh, would use the pre-scrutiny process in order to um, ensure that um, the recommendations are being taken on board. And I would also like to suggest that full council should also be informed of the process because this plan, as Councillor Sells, is very important. It is a critical part of the work that we will be doing. So if we add uh, a clause which... Sorry, Councillor Goddard, you've got a knife. 
Well, it's sort of changed now. Uh, Mr Chairman, I was going to formally second, but uh, I, w I would have said that that then seems we're at a different part if, if we're then moving on to how scrutiny works with the planning policy working group and various aspects. Uh, surely at, at this moment in time for this item in this meeting, we are accepting the local plan review as given to us by, uh, by PAS or we are not. Right. Well, I Therefore, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Can we therefore, as a final item, say we ask officers to produce as a, a short report for the next meeting which describes the, and, and sets out the f future role of scrutiny in involvement with the local plan? Uh, and then we can... No, they don't want to do that. <laughs> you, yes? Trying to this is Councillor Roll. See if I can, um, can help in any way, because I don't think there's anybody in this council who doesn't want the local plan to be successful this time. So every point that's been made tonight, uh, and in the report, um, and all the other lessons that have been learnt, will most carefully be taken into account. And um, that is already happening. There's been reference to that already. Half of this committee sits on the Planning Policy Working Group. Um, and I have made a number of notes myself just to double-check that every point. And I'm going to ask officers just to uh, go through the report to make sure there, as Lord Heseltine said, there is no stone unturned. I would be very pleased uh, if it would help this uh, committee to come as and when you want me to come, hopefully not to every meeting, but if that was the case, just to update the committee on aspects of the working plan policy working group. Um, it is fully transparent, as you know, so there are no secrets within it. Anybody can come along to its meetings, um, but if it would be helpful to uh, be able to quiz me at this uh, committee, then that would be fine. Thank you very much, Councillor Rolf. Are we... Pleased to accept that that offer, committee. Yes. So, um, I think we 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 note that in the minutes that offer. Um, I think Councillor Goddard is right that we should stick tonight's with tonight's resolution to what uh, to this report. The, the two items that I mentioned have already mentioned. The one on welcoming the report, and secondly, on. Um, I've lost it now. <laughs> Come on, remind me. What's the second? What's Councillor Park speaking? Uh, that we send the report to the cabinet yes. for their consideration. Full stop. Yes. Is that seconded? Mm -hmm. All in favour? Maggie seems to have got that, so that's good. I just finish, can I just finish the item, Chairman, by saying that the PowerPoint will be put on the website tomorrow, so it will be within the scrutiny papers. If you click on the link for the scrutiny papers, you'll be able to listen to this meeting and have a look at the PowerPoint. Thank you. Right, thank you very much. Now, I know members have a tradition in the old committee of finishing by 9.30. We've only got six minutes, so that's perhaps uh, a bit... No, no, it's 9.30. Uh, we've got sweepstake on this one. Oh, no, oh, no, no, that's right. No, sorry. No, that's right. It was your wish it, that it, we managed to finish at 9.30, was it not? I, I suspect we might go a little bit longer, but perhaps not as long as sometimes happened in the past. Do, do we need to discuss 
the timetable. I'm just going to correct you that you said that the minute was, these meetings would finish at 9.30 as your aim as chairman. Right. Well, I'm still aiming for that. Let us then go back to, to item four. Um, are there any matters referred to here for decision? There, are, there is none. Uh, item five on the agenda is responses of the executive to reports of the committee. Again, I think there is none. Um, item six, cabinet forward plans. We, we do have a paper on that. Uh, does anybody wish to? Mr. Uh, Webb. I think if I can, Chairman, uh, I'd just like to point out to members that following a suggestion from Councillor Light at um, our June meeting, there is now the column which gives a bit more explanation as to what each of the items are that are on the Ford plan. Thank you. Any member wish to raise any thoughts on the updated forward plan? Shall we move on to our work programme? Right. Looks as though we can note that and move on to our scrutiny work programme, which, of course, could, if we so choose, take us till 2 o'clock in the morning to discuss every item, and I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, we, we have, members have inputted their ideas over the last uh, couple of weeks, and they are on a piece of paper that I can't find at the moment, but it's uh, somewhere here. Um, what, what, I, what I suggest, thank you, what I suggest we, we do is we first of all eliminate nothing tonight on the basis that they all need careful thought and we aren't in a position to do that tonight. Um, I'd like to suggest that we form a short-term task group to deal with, to, to to, to look at them all in a bit more detail and to take them offline, if you will. Um, but that tonight we could identify perhaps one that we want to kick off in more detail. Um, before we start to discuss the list, can I get your feeling as to whether that would be a reasonable approach? Because we clearly can't discuss all these items because I don't know. There are 30, well, there are 40 or more altogether, so there's no, there's no way we can do that. Um, and what I'm going to propose to start with is that in terms of taking this forward and working up and coming back to you with more information, that, that we have a task, task group of myself and Councillor Barker as the Vice Chairman and one other, say one of the members from residents, not residents, from... <laughs> yes, residents for Uttlesford, beg your pardon, um, to, 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 to do that. Councillor Barker. Normally, are we given uh, the blank timetable? Have I lost it in all the pieces of paper? It doesn't show, show us the gaps we've got. It, it's online. No, it's online. How much space have we got in November? That's the next meeting, isn't it? No, November does have a fair bit of space. There's the budget stuff is coming forward, so there'll be a bit of an update on the reports you'll get, but that'll be relatively quick. So there is some scope in November to provide the feedback from a task group that Councillor Dean is proposing. 
Davis. Councillor so, Davis. Just to help everyone, the, the, any, the, any point starting after having taken stocks of the last page was basically what I sent over. Um, you'll now also see when I was on holiday. But anyway, um, I, I, I read through a lot of the, and I think there are a lot of topics, and I think certainly those of us who were on scrutiny previously, we, um, we started looking at a lot of outside bodies. And, and asking questions of, of um, the NHS, uh, NHS England and Essex Highways on things like potholes. We had a, a very a wonderful presentation on, on the granulation of how um, Essex filled potholes in and, and the process, and it was very useful. And I think a lot of that information is probably still relevant. Um, what I look to do, and just to, just to kind of give you an idea of where, where I was at with this, is, is to almost um, review scrutiny topics with kind of umbrella headings so rather than asking a specific question about something relating to a topic it's actually there are there is a lot of work that's being done within you know health and well-being you know interestingly you know I've put within housing and regeneration around our planning strategy it, it's it's just a part of what the scrutiny we would be looking to bring back either the portfolio holders or or particular pieces of work that are taking place on a more formal basis because there are a number of areas that we should look to involve that I think maybe scrutiny over the last term probably probably didn't. Um, the other piece of work obviously there is the, um, is it a cable group? Is that, so there's the cable group and, and officers project work which is, which is being kicked off. What is the cable group? Someone tell me what cable group stands uh, for. <laughs> It's cabinet and lead members, so basically yeah. uh, there was a meeting of it on Monday here, which was basically led by the chief executive, Mr. Mitchell, uh, where he brought uh, the cabinet and those uh, councillors announced in council by Councillor Rolfe as being lead members for particular topics, day centres, health, wellbeing, uh, police, cycle strategy, sport, meeting officers of... Um, in different department areas within the uh, Ottawa District Council. This is sort of a, a growing and nurturing idea, exchange of ideas, exposure to, so the officers get exposed to the sort of crankiness, idiosyncrasies of members, and members get exposed to the sort of common sense of officers. Um, and that's the cable group. So with that, and thank you, Councillor Barker. Um, there are... A, a, a there will be, I think, at a certain point, a, a considerable um, amount of pieces of work that I think scrutiny would be a good place for um, how those are progressing to, to come in. Um, so with that in mind, I don't have any, any sort of short-term goals, but it was more around where, my, where I was at around. There are a, a number of, of key topics that are taking place within the District Council, and I think our role as scrutiny is to actually you know, to, to understand whether one, they're progressing into the, the, the subsequent performance because a strategy and having principles is great, but being able to monitor the performance out the back of it is equally as important as understanding that why, we're, why we're moving into things. So if that helps provide a, a structure to the, the, um, the group that you'd be looking to sort of set up, then, then hopefully you'll find it useful. Yeah, well, clearly there are other things going on uh, uh, that are indicated here, so I think there's a need for us to get our head around that and how they all fit together uh, and, and to come back with a, a more considered approach to all of this yeah, lot. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, that will be the, the first proposal. What I was going to, looking at this list, uh, in terms of urgent need, and I'm not proposing that we kick something off tonight, but I notice that uh, under the other list, 
Um, item 31 is about initial investigation into the Council's capacity to address the international refugee crisis. I think there is going to be um, an extraordinary Council meeting. I think it's Wednesday next week. Um, so probably at this stage it's probably, it's probably best to say, well, we've We've got that on our list. We're not quite sure what we can do until we've had the discussion next Wednesday, but it might well be that that item, if there is a piece of work to do, uh, is something that could be early on our agenda, but let's wait until next Wednesday. Does that seem a reasonable approach on that? Yeah, so that, that's agreed. Um, Councillor Light. Thank you. Um, I would suggest that that's um, perhaps... Uh, not so much for scrutiny but for a working group to actually to start to pull together and to coordinate uh, initiatives that need to occur um, rather than actually bring it at this stage to scrutiny. So it's an action group I think that's needed rather than and a task and finish group rather than uh, for the scrutiny committee to look at now, maybe later. Sorry, what, what topic are you referring to? Oh, we're talking about number to? 31. Oh, right. Well, as I say, I think that can flow from the council meeting rather than us trying to work out... Yes, uh, I'm suggesting... Uh, a way sorry, forward now, whether it's an it's action not, group or... Yeah. It's not, it's not, I don't feel it's particularly appropriate at this stage for the scrutiny committee. It needs an action group to start actually putting something together. Right, I see, I see. Well, we can make that... That's a fair point to go in our minutes and something that can be raised at the uh, week tomorrow, sorry, next Wednesday, week yesterday. Councillor Sell. Thank you, Chairman. I think we did agree, uh, Councillor Davis reminded us, that we would focus more on the internal workings of the Council rather than our external relationships. And I think when we choose topics, then it sh I think we should aim for something that is... Either one that, as members, we think we need to know more about this particular service of the Council, or alternatively, where we believe that there may be dissatisfaction by residents, and what we're looking for, I think, is something that will work that will be achievable, will get something done during this um, civic year. And I, I, I just, with those thoughts, I think that's what we should concentrate on. Do you have something in mind? Um, on, the, on that basis, I, I, I think that there are smaller pieces of work here. I, I personally, enforcement, you've got 15 and 16 on the list there. And when I was previously a member of this council, a lot of issues came up from residents regarding enforcement or lack of enforcement. I don't know when this was last looked at by scrutiny, uh, but I think it's an area which councillors do come into contact with, with residents. And... It's an area where, certainly from my point of view, welcome more information about our effectiveness of, of enforcement. I, I know that Councillor Jones told me last week that that's something that he would um, support, but Councillor Barker. Um, there is a house whose name we do not mention anymore. 
and it was raised at that point about the problems of enforcement and what was expedient in planning terms. They are in different, slightly different areas of enforcement. There is planning enforcement and then there is licensing enforcement. Given that we have to think about what we're going to do, the next step, when we've decided a topic, we then have to write or have assistance in writing a scoping report. Mm. And the scoping report takes almost as long as the, the scrutiny to sort of be accurate and focused. Given that the lead member for enforcement, uh, Councillor Jones, is, would be happy to support us, I think that uh, if the first thing we could put in the blank slot is a scoping report for planning enforcement if the officers feel they could do that in the time. And because they are separate silos of enforcement involving different departments, we may as well at the same time have item 17 as the uh, licensing and uh, environmental. Would that be possible? It, it certainly would, and um, although they're specifically specific areas, it's actually one enforcement team. So, yeah, we would be able to scope out something that would deal with all of those areas. Shall we, shall we kick off with that? Everybody seems to be, nobody's shaking his head or her head, and that nobody's um, jumping up and saying, I've got a better idea. So on that basis, Councillor Goddard. Thank you, Chairman. No, no, I don't have a better idea and, uh, and do support that. What I would like to make the point, and perhaps it be minuted, that this should certainly be reduced, this list. And while it is it's great to start with a wide base, I think the quote is that scrutiny is like looking through a microscope at certain areas of, of a council and but the problem is you can't look through all the microscopes all the time and there are so many issues here that unless some focus is, is comes together uh, then scrutiny is far too wide and perhaps would not do its job uh, to the best of its ability. Well, I certainly agree with that, and that's why I'm suggesting that we have a, a small task group just to simply look at this list and then to come back and say why we think certain things should be on the list and what the priority might be and why there's no point, we think there's no point in, in following some, such that the, the list does reduce you know, as quickly as possible, but rather than summarily dismissing something tonight without having thought about it, um, I, I will propose that as part of the recommendation that we set up a task group and I'm going to propose Councillor Barker, myself and Councillor Light. Would you be willing to, to do that? I mean, we're doing things back, back, back and forth. But therefore, there's two, two recommendations, or sorry, two proposals. One is that we take the enforcement areas um, as, as a, our first item and that we, we form that task group to deal with the managing the list. Uh, Councillor Davis, did you want to say something else before we take the yeah, it was just, it was just Councillor Asker wants to speak? It's just around you know, creating, uh, creating the list. What, what would be quite useful, and I think it would be fairly, fairly swift. Oh, no. Officers can tell me differently, but um, there are a number of items on here which, which are things that have come, have come to scrutiny certainly within the last sort of 12 to 18 months as well. So as part of that work, it would be useful to, to 
sort of pull in some of the things that we've already that we've already seen. And that was all. Mr. Alty wishes to advise. I was only going to say that that is yes, simple, and we sh we can do an annotated version of the list with that information on. Right, Councillor Asker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, just on the the uh, discussion of reviewing enforcement items 15, 16, and 17, and the fact that um, it's uh, licensing and planning, um, I'm mindful of the the. Uh, under the list of others, uh, point 29, um, to review the procedure for ensuring safety of officers and members involved with contentious applications at the licensing and planning committees, that whilst you're reviewing um, enforcement items 15 to 17, should item 29 not also be included as uh, a complementary subject to that, because I think it's quite pertinent, or do you think it might be too much under one heading? Well, can I suggest that we'll be coming back to the November meeting with uh, a scoping document, and if there's anything else that it appears ought to be part of that, then then it will be in there. If and you you know that point can be argued, then if it's not in there, and if we've got reasons why we think it should be treated separately, in other words, if the task group thinks that, but we'll take take that point, we'll consider that point. Mr. Webb. Just on the task group, Chairman, if I can, um, yes, we can certainly um, give advice on those items that have come forward in the last uh, year or two. Uh, I would hope that we could join some of these into a bit more of an informed list, linking several together. And I would also like to suggest that as part of this, we go back and then consult with the rest of the members of the Council and come back almost with a top half a dozen, ten, whatever, um, to, to widen the scope, if you like, to all councillors so that they all feel they've got an input into the work that you are going to do. Yes, indeed. I mean, that's something I didn't mention tonight, but I did send out an invitation to all members of the council because it's certainly my view that uh, we don't have to restrict those who take part in task groups to the members of this committee because if we've got expertise, interest elsewhere in the council, well, why not invite them to take part um, rather than some of us being dragooned into doing something that isn't our topic. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that's uh, something that we can develop as time goes on. I'd like to draw this to a close, but, but Councillor Light's got one more point. Actually, one and a half. <laughs> Not about that. The half point being that um, it does look quite a long list, but when you look at it, uh, there are already some items that are really part of a scoping or terms of reference, um, so, which is good. Work is partially done. Uh, and the point that I'm going to make is that um, we also, as residents of Uttlesford, also asked um, residents to contribute uh, their thoughts so there is some direct input from residents into what they would like to see scrutinised and we would like also to continue that process um, with experts and residents. Thank you. I think there's a, there's a good principle there is that we shouldn't just be simply contemplating our own navels and not listening to anybody uh, outside because at the end of the day it is about public services. So, so if in some way through the point that Councillor Davis talked about, about public engagement, we, we get either different ideas or new ideas through there, then, then we, we ought to take them on board. So I think that's, that's a well, well put. 
Right, I'm going to put this to the vote that we uh, kick off a, uh, a study into um, enforcement as, as set out here that we come back to the uh, November meeting with a, a, a scoping report and consider that there. And in the meantime, um, a task group of myself, Councillor Parker and Councillor Light spend some time in a dark room and um, try and uh, make sense of the rest of the list. I'm sure you won't mean it quite like that, Maggie, but um, I think you know what I mean. It's recorded. I know it's recorded. No, I realise that. No, I realise that. Well, this is the entertainment slot. <laughs> uh, is that agreed? Is that seconded? Yes. It doesn't, it's not a motion. Is it? It is, yes, yes. Is that agreed by Are those agreed? Yes, everybody's agreement. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, we're going to have a brief update on... Car Park Review. It will Mr. be very Webb. brief. Um, the position at the moment is the Christmas car parking arrangements are coming to Cabinet next week. Uh, the car parking report itself is out to consultation at the moment and according to the calendar you had earlier due to report back to Cabinet on the 10th of December. 10th of December. 10th of December. 10th of December, right. Anybody got any points to make or questions on that? No, thank you. Then I have no other items of urgent business. So, oh, just a minute, Mr. Orty wishes to. Sorry, I know you're desperate yeah. to go home. Um, this is Vicky's last meeting with us before she goes off on maternity leave. Um, and I know some people around the table have worked with her quite closely over the last four years and some members haven't but I'm sure everyone would like to thank you for all the hard work you've done over the last four years and um, at the back of the room there there's uh, Lisa Cleaver who's returned from maternity leave uh, two days ago and has kindly agreed to step into the breach and uh, cover for Vicky in her absence. Thank yes, you. Sir. Thank you for picking me up on that. I should have, uh, it should have been on my notes and it wasn't. Uh, but uh, best wishes to Vicky and Welcome. Right, I've, I have no other items, therefore we're only 15 minutes or so over my target. Hope you'll forgive me for that. Good night. <laughs>